Welcome to the Thinking Practitioner Podcast, a podcast where we dig into the fascinating issues, conditions, and quandaries in the massage and manual therapy world today. I'm Whitney Lowe. And I'm Till Luca. Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the Thinking, Thinking Practitioner. Practitioner. Welcome to the Thinking Practitioner. And Books of Discovery has been part of the massage therapy education world for over 20 years. Thousands of schools around the world teach with their textbooks, e-textbooks, and digital resources. Books of Discovery likes to say learning adventures start here, and they see that same spirit here on the Thinking Practitioner podcast. And they're proud to support our work, knowing we share the mission to bring the massage and bodywork community enlivening content that advances our profession. So do be sure to check out their collection of e-textbooks and digital learning resources for pathology, kinesiology, anatomy, physiology at booksofdiscovery.com, where Thinking Practitioner listeners can save 15% by entering Thinking at checkout. Welcome, everyone. This is our first episode of 2023. Till is off this week, but I'm delighted to be joined by my friend Alyssa Haynes from Massage Business Blueprint, who is here today. Welcome, Alyssa, to The Thinking Practitioner. Welcome. Happy New Year. Thank you. Great to have you here. It's um, looking forward to uh, an enlivening and interesting discussion with you today. We want to, I want to t- kind of touch on this theme of the new year, of this being our first episode of 2023, and uh, talk about some things related to, you know, looking at our, our overall what's ahead for us, uh, what are some things that have changed and that kind of thing. So we'll we'll get down to some of those things. But to, uh, to begin with, uh, for those of our listeners who don't know you yet, tell me a little bit about yourself, about the Massage Business Blueprint, what it's all about, and what uh, what you're up to with that. Sure. Um, Me. I am a practicing massage therapist, a small business owner in Massachusetts. And I always start with that because it is the primary thing that I do and hopefully uh, gives me the brain and the credence and the the experience to do the next thing I do, which is uh, co-run the Massage Business Blueprint. And that is primarily an online learning center uh, that teaches massage therapists, marketing, and business skills. We've got a podcast available to everyone. We've got a blog available to everyone. We have all kinds of resources and eBooks available to everyone who wants to learn how to run their massage business, every business marketing networking aspect you can think of. And we also have a private community for people who run a really dive in and get a lot of peer mentorship action. And it's all at massagebusinessblueprint.com. And I will say personally, I think it's a wonderful resource. And and how long have you guys been doing this now? Well, it's been a while. Um, We're coming up on eight years. Is it really? Um, wow. As mm-hmm. with me and my partner Michael Reynolds partnering together, and it was I think I had four or five years prior to that with the earlier iteration um, of what would become the blueprint. Yeah, great. Tell me a little bit historically, because I'm always curious to hear some of the origin stories. How did you and Michael kind of connect on this and decide that that you are the right things? Because you know it's it's hard to find the right perfect sort of partner that that that's the great compliment for you. And I think you all do a wonderful job of of being that for each other. Yeah, we um, Michael and I met through our AMTA volunteering years and years back. Um, and uh, he was the president of the Indiana chapter. I was running education for the Massachusetts chapter and his marketing company, because he has like, he had two lives at the time. His marketing company was doing websites for state chapters. And we met because the very first time I published my very first blog post on this website intended to help teach marketing and business skills, um, 
I wrote a blog post and it went out to my email feed, which he happened to be on, or he happened to get it passed along to him from some mutual AMTA friend. And the very first interaction I had with Michael was an email that um, included my blog post and said, you're brilliant. And I thought, right? (laughs) <laughs> How can you not become best friends with someone who does that? That's right. So um, we and he's not even a relative or anything like that. You know, he's no, just um, from the public. Absolutely, yeah. found my kindred spirit and uh, our like borderline twins. Our birthdays are within a couple of weeks of each other, and we became friends. I learned a lot about marketing and networking from him, and we fill in each other's gaps very well. So after three or four years of me just kind of messing around and blogging and starting to teach CE all over the country and then starting to realize I did not want to travel and teach CE all over the country. Uh, He said, hey, do you finally want to turn this into a real thing that makes makes us like actual money? And I was like, yeah, I would love it if the me became an us because I did not have the wherewithal to structure it well. And that is where Michael shines. So we, uh, you know, that was back in the days where you just wanted to monetize every hobby you had. And that's how we ended up like getting organized and partnering up and becoming the blueprint. Yeah. Well, it has become, I think, an outstanding resource. I point people to it all the time, just because there's not a lot in that space about, um, growing your business, becoming successful in your business that does anything nearly as thoroughly as you two do it, first of all, but also with really super high quality. And in a way that I think just, um, you know, when you look at the stats of why people leave this profession, um, inability to really succeed in, from a business standpoint is high on that list frequently. And yet it's it's one of those things that uh, people don't necessarily want to you know, they're not excited. A lot of people are not excited about learning about business. How have you all found um, working with that sort of mindset about, you know, it's something everybody knows they need to do, but they're just not really that excited about it and doing it. Well, what's nice about running something, you know, extra, I'm not within a massage program, right? Because when people are in massage school, they are not prepared to even think about the business aspect, like you're already trying to absorb all your origins and insertions and your boundaries and how you're going to deal with working on your grandmother and all of this stuff. Um, You don't know what you need to know yet in regards to business. And I found that any education, any business education people get in massage school goes in one ear and out the other, because it's just not the best time to learn that. So, I mean, and that's why all of this like education stuff regarding businesses isn't really needed. And I also want to note, it's really needed and it's needed to be taught by people who have, who currently have a hands-on practice Mm -hmm. and, or have had a hands-on practice recently. When we started doing this, the bulk of the people teaching business hadn't put their hands on a body or run a business in 15 years. And the economy is very different and business and marketing skills are very different. I, even a couple of years out of massage school, so we're talking like 20, 2008, 9, 10, I took a business class where they were still teaching like 
written ledgers and such. And I was like, no, there's software for that now. Right, yeah. And so and I come from the days when our business teacher was telling us to go put business cards up in the health food store, you know, right. You should make a flyer and put it at the right. health food store. Definitely. Yeah. And um, so there was a real need for people who were actively running practices like massage businesses to share what they were learning as all of this business and marketing stuff evolved. And that's kind of how we filled that void. And I forgot the original question that you asked already. Well, no, let me take it. I mean, you, yeah, you nailed the original question, but let me take that also to another place because when you speak about business education in massage schools, trying to train practitioners for the future, this is one of those places where it changes so damn fast in terms of things like social media, you know, how to get things out there. And like you said, many of the teachers and people who have been charged with with teaching in these places may not be up on how to do this kind of stuff. And it's, it is one of those things that you all do exceptionally well because you stay current with these things. But I wonder, like, what's your thought on is this essential or necessary to try to get these people to be staying more current? Or is this something that, for example, might be better served by you doing what you're doing when people actually get out and start working because it's one of those things that situational learning here, I think, is so relevant of people learning this stuff while they're in the midst of really practicing as opposed to saying like, oh, I just have to learn this to pass my licensure test or whatever. And like like you said, it's just not on their top. It's not top of mind when they're in yeah. school at that point. And I remembered your original question, which was, how do you deal with massage therapists who have this resistance and um, don't really want to learn this stuff? And the the nice part of, of starting this endeavor um, is that people who don't want to learn this stuff don't come to me. So mm-hmm. we're really self-filtering. So anyone who comes to the Blueprint via our podcast or just emails me a question or joins our community, um, they are ready to dive in. So I don't have to convince anybody that they should want to learn this because they're yeah. here because they want to learn. So that's, that is one, like working with people who actually want to work with you is super nice. Mm-hmm. And, but yeah, there is a lot of like, here's the thing. This is my like whole marketing shtick in like one sentence. There isn't really anything new foundationally, right? There's just all these new tools to do the things. So 50 years ago, you were going to uh, create relationships with other small business owners, maybe by being part of your neighborhood business association or a chamber or whatever your little town or big city had, you were just going to in-person connect with other small business owners, right? Awesome. We still need to do that. Like the bottom line of all business and marketing is it's about relationships, but the tools we use to build those relationships are very different and they evolve. So you went from having personal, you know, one-on-ones with people and small neighborhood business associations and, um, and your little, you know, like your address book. And that evolved into actually having printed business cards that you could give everybody. And then you had a business card file and folder. And, uh, then, you know, people started storing contact information in their phones and you started having, um, people, you know, phone service got better. You weren't sharing a phone line with three other families or two other businesses. Like back in the day, people had to share phone lines and, um, you know, that's how you would talk to people, but now it's via email. And so the bottom line, the foundational uh, parts of running a business and building a business are not new. It is simply learning a new tool. You can use a screwdriver, you can use a drill. 
that's it. It's just an evolution of tools. So I do think that in massage school, there should be a foundation. We should be told that we need to, uh, it is extremely helpful to track your income and track your expenses in a, in a very structured, clear way. We should be told that your first year out, you might need to pay some quarterly estimated taxes. We need to be told that we do not need a deep dive into QuickBooks when we're in massage school. Yeah, so, for sure. you know, that's business, that's business skills, that's business practices, right? And then you've got like networking and marketing. Um, we need to be told that other small business owners can be a great resource for us. We need to be told that you should look for a networking group, maybe one that even has an offshoot for health and wellness. But we don't necessarily need to be told to go visit 10 BNI chapters. So the foundation is always the same, but the tools are going to constantly evolve. One of the things that I hear from people uh, all the time, and I know I have said this myself uh, as well, and I wonder if you you have like a a pearl of wisdom for, for people when they, they get in this place of saying like, you know, I just want to do this work. I don't want to be salesy and I'm just, I'm not a seller. I don't sell things well. You know, do you have like one kernel of, of wisdom or or the the go-to statement for people that's, that say that? Yeah. You can't serve anybody if they don't know you exist. Yeah. There you go. Like, you know, and I had, I had a, a, a classmate in massage school who, and in a very like self-effacing way would go, I have these hands and they're great, but I have nothing else. And like, okay. <laughs> yeah. And the good part is you can learn like, and I tell people all the time, your first effleurage was terrible. It was mm -hmm. terrible. Your first effleurage on an arm, you were too hard over the elbow. You probably planned into the armpit. You didn't go all the way around the shoulder and you didn't think to come all the way down and make it full by ending at the fingertips. You were terrible. Your first networking experience will likely be awful. Mm -hmm. And and like epically, I'm going to give this example. I have a friend who bought a bakery about five years ago. And it is the only nut-free bakery in Rhode Island. Huge, like really big for people with allergies. And she got this beautiful placement spot on a TV show, um, like a local, whatever, statewide TV show, newsy thing. And she demonstrated really quick how to decorate a cake really well. And it was like, you know, a three-minute spot and that was it. And she called me afterward and said, never mentioned it was a nut-free bakery. <laughs> I was like, yeah, but it was the first time you were on that show. Everything else was fine. Mm -hmm. Don't worry about it. And she's yeah. been on that show like five more times and is like the biggest nut-free baker in Rhode Island. Yeah. So anyhow, you're going to screw up like that. You're going to stumble um, in a networking experience. You're going to not know the terms of the business certificate you need to get from the town hall. You're You're going to get better at it. Yeah. Yeah, I think, and that's such a, what you said at the very outset too, I just want people to hear that again, uh, because that's so important, which is that, you know, you're not going to help people if people don't know you exist. And it is one of those things that that uh, I think we just have to grin and bear it, that it's a part of what we do to be able to do what we do. Um, and most people that I talk to are in this because they really have a mission or desire to want to do something significant with their work. And that's how that's how it's going to be relevant and possible for them to do that. So uh, one other thing I want to touch uh, on here with the community, with the blueprint community, 
I think community building and community resourcing is so valuable for learning this kind of stuff. You know, people who've done something that you're trying to get into doing, you know, somebody knows something about databases and you have no clue or something, somebody knows something about accounting or whatever. How has that um, been for your community members in terms of a, of a resource? I think that's a really valuable part of what you're doing. And you find the same that people are really learning and using a lot of that community resource. Yeah, it's awesome because, you know, we've got core resources. We've got um, these tutorials and worksheets and anything you could ever want to learn about any aspect of running your business. Um, but sometimes you need someone's personal experience. So uh, someone, you know, I don't do the formal networking um, that a lot of massage therapists do. Now, Michael's really good at it, but he's never done that level of networking as a massage therapist. So someone will come in and ask, by commit, I mean like log into our community and ask in the forum. Um, I have, I'm going to visit three BNI, which is Business Networking International meetings um, as a guest. And it's a super like hyper-structured uh, networking group. And I'm going to go visit as a guest. What do I need to know? And can I run my elevator pitch by somebody? And it's so good because, you know, we'll have a bunch of members who have done that kind of structure, structured networking with that exact group because it's like this massive international group. And they'll say, okay, here's how most meetings go. There's going to be this kind of an opening. There's going to be an intro. Um, everybody's going to go around the room and have 60 seconds to give their shtick. There's going to be a longer presentation, like five, 10 minutes by a member who's chosen for that week to give some kind of presentation. And then da, 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 da. And here's how it works with tracking your referrals in that group. And it's something I don't know. I'm going to bend to a few Bianna, but I'm not really good at that. But, you know, in our group of 200 plus massage therapists, we've got a handful of people who nail it and know everything you need to know. Um, there are, there's a lot of, you know, I live in a suburb, but, and I, I know the foundational aspects of marketing, right? But it's different if you're in a huge city. It's different if you're in a very, very small town. It's different if you're in a suburb that is only, you know, 10 miles from massage school and your whole area is just saturated with massage therapists. So the foundations are always the same, but there's always these little adaptations for geography or specialty or even, you know, the gender of the massage therapist or the, the life circumstances of a massage therapist, a single parent who, you know, has to has no childcare. So this is how they have to work. So in our community, there's usually someone who can answer a question. It is very rare yeah. for any question to go unanswered. And typically when that happens, a few of us can jump in and say, I don't have an answer, but let's work through that together. And then we'll do that. We have live office hours, which are just Zoom meetings where any member can pop in and out and people can kind of peer mentor and also just hang out because, you know, being a massage therapist can be very lonely mm -hmm. and yeah. um, it's better now because we have the internet. But, you know, when I started, like that wasn't a big thing. So you would just spend like 20, 30 hours alone in a dark room with a client every week. And it was yeah. very isolating and there weren't a lot of massage therapists around and um, local networks were harder to build back then. So it, it makes it makes all of us a little less lonely. Yeah. And I think there's that 
is so important not to underemphasize how important that is in just overall wellness and health for us all to have that sense of community and have other people going through some of the things that we're doing there. I think that's that's invaluable as a resource for people. So we will be sure to um, um, you know make a connection in the show notes for you know people who want to learn more about the blueprint and what all the things that you all are doing over there. So thank um, you. I want to um, also kind of talk a little bit about the new year and you know, when the new year comes around, everybody, you know, makes their requisite resolutions, which, you know, they're going to not fulfill in two weeks, whatever it is, you know, the way that usually goes. But it's always a time for us to talk about change and looking forward and everything. The last few years have been just an absolute whirlwind of change globally for all of us in so many different ways. And of course, a lot to our profession. Uh, and I'm just, I'm asking a lot of different people this question just to hear different perspectives. What have you seen as some of the the biggest changes um, impacting our field? And what do you kind of see as you look down the horizon for the next year and the next few years of, of anything that's going to be like different than it was, uh, perhaps? Oh, um, I think long-term in the 17-ish years that I've been doing this, I was thinking about this the other day, like it has been a very, very long time since I was asked if I give happy endings. Oh, it has been at, mm-hmm. at least a decade uh-huh. um, and it has been probably just as long, at least a decade or more since I have had, since, since a client who was looking for sexual services got past all my screening mm-hmm. and it led to an uncomfortable situation in a massage room. It has been years and years and years of that. And part of that is, um, me knowing how to put my practice out there better now, me having better screening techniques. Um, and also because it's it's a much more educated consumer base nowadays. So there are more and more people who have actually gotten a massage or have actually, or who know someone who's gotten a massage or have uh, utilized or know someone who has utilized massage in the aspect of rehab or, or healthcare. And that's really, really big. And I was, you know, it used to be when you said, I'm a massage therapist, you could see the gears turning in someone's head if they were going to make a joke or not. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I haven't, like, frankly, it's been a long time since someone mistook me for a sex worker. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, great. Sure. Awesome. Because not that there's anything wrong with sex work. I want to be very clear. It's just not what I do. It's not my specialty. So I, um, it was nice to think about that and be like, wow, that's great. Um, you know, this licensure and regulation in a lot more states, is that a good thing or a bad thing? It depends on who you ask. Um, it's kind of, <laughs> yes. you know, Massachusetts is like the template of what not to do for state licensure. It's just, it was badly executed and we will pay the price, literally pay the price of um, lots and lots of licenses and inspections and such throughout for the rest of my career. And that's fine. I also think that to see more and more massage therapists specializing is really nice because I think that, and I don't think that everybody needs to have a hyper-specialized practice. I don't think everybody has to say, I work on runners, I work on women athletes, or I only work on people with cancer, or I only do this particular modality. That's not the right kind of practice for everyone. So I don't want anyone to be like, well, I'm running a general practice. None of her advice applies to me. But um, I think it's neat to see more and more therapists specializing in oncology work and in manual lymphatic drainage 
And um, in very specific techniques, um, especially techniques that don't require someone to take their clothes off because that allows us to serve more people. And that seeing that, seeing more people niche is really, really fun. So what do you think are those key benefits of that specialization? Is it that more people are able to get their specific needs met that they weren't necessarily through more generalized kind of approaches that, that were available before? Yeah. So there's, I mean, there's a benefit to a client base, right? Because if I'm, if I've got TMJD issues and I go to my regular massage therapist, who's a very general practitioner, she's going to do some jaw work and some related neck work, and it's probably going to help, but not as much as if I go to someone who specializes in jaw and neck and TMJD stuff, who is going to do more specific and thorough work, who is going to be able to maybe do a little bit of assessment and evaluation within the scope of whatever our practice is, you know, apply hands-on work um, that is informed by that assessment, maybe get better results and probably teach me more specific and effective self-care for on my own. Yeah. So it's, it's good for the client base in that it provides better care for certain issues or it provides better customer satisfaction when they want certain modalities. Like I I am terrible at hot stone massage. And back when I gave hot stone massage, it was like mediocre at best. When I stopped doing it and I sent a few of my clients to my office mate who was very good at it, they were like, that is a whole other experience. I'm like, yeah, I was absolutely underserving you. Um, so even technique wise um, or modality wise, it can be better at delivering the massage that your client wants. So it's good for the client base. And of course, what's good for the client base is good for your business because word gets around. But also because massage is more popular, because there's more, you know, franchises weren't a thing when I graduated. And when I started my business, that wasn't a, a thing that I had to worry about competing with. But if you're in a city and there's a spa or a franchise in every third corner and you've got a massage school in your city or nearby, so you've got a very saturated market, if you can specialize in a thing, every person you know, looking for a solution to that problem, so say TMJD work, um, you know, is they're going to be more attracted to you than to a general practitioner. So it is a way of putting yourself outside the crowd of massage therapists, outside the fray and the blurriness and really focusing so that clients who need your specific thing and, you know, a client who needs very specific work from a highly specialized practitioner is going to drive a half an hour for that. They're not going to drive a half an hour for a general relaxation massage. Um, Well, some of mine do because that's part of my specialty, but, um, you know, they're not going to just drive and, and, go through the effort of researching a practitioner to do general stuff. But if you've got that niche and it's, it's a need that, that needs to be filled in your area, then you'll, your schedule will be busier with less effort on your part. Yeah. So I want to touch base on that just for a second too. Uh, First of all, and also make another plug for a wonderful ebook that you all have on your website about how to find new clients um, uh, so that's, I'll also put a link to that in the show notes so people can find that. So in reference to this, how, do you have any like quick hint suggestions for individuals, how they find those niche people when they say like, oh, I've identified, this is something I want to really specialize in. Um, you know, there's not a listing of people necessarily walking around with TMJ disorders, but you want to specialize in that. How do you kind of 
find those specialized needs people? Well, um, you think about where they hang out and you think about the other practitioners that they see and you try to make those connections. That's always like the first go-to. You, um, let's take TMJD, you would go to uh, dentists, dental hygienists. Um, you would try to connect with, and like, you know, there's a lot of like big dental chains now. They, they may not be as easy to connect with as um, kind of a neighborhood independent practice dentist. Um, and again, other business owners, that's the core of what this is, right? So people who serve, you know, people with dental pain. Um, and also by really refining your elevator pitch so that everyone knows that's what you do. So if you're at a networking meeting or a chamber event or you're meeting other people who perhaps could send clients to you one day and you say, I'm a massage therapist, I specialize in people with jaw pain. The next time they meet someone who has jaw pain, like you're going to be, you're going to come up in their head mm -hmm. versus yeah. I'm a massage therapist. I help people relax. Also useful, not as specific. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So to it, it plants a seed in people's heads. So that is kind of like part of getting the word out, but also having a really specialized website that makes it very clear what you do, lots of helpful information for people with jaw pain, maybe some videos for self-care, and then oftentimes some really well-placed Google ads. Um, and it doesn't have to be a huge spend. You can run a Google ad for a dollar a day. And so that people who are searching for like jaw pain therapy, Boston, my website's going to come up a little higher on that search than other websites. Yeah. So there's that. Yeah. So there are tactics and ways to to get there for people. And these are some of the things, too, that, that people could learn through what you all are doing with your your blueprint community and the resources and things that you have about how to use some of those specialized tactics to find people. Yep, Absolutely. Yeah. So another thing I want to ask about here, this is something I see on social media a good bit that, um, you know, there's a lot of topic or a lot of discussions in various different groups about sort of, you know, business and economic survival and finding uh, equitable pay rates for the things that we're doing. This has been a topic a lot, you know, with the, the franchise models and things like that. Um, since you've got a community built around these business issues, I'm curious to know, do you hear this talked about a lot. What are some of your thoughts on this, um, these uh, current issues with pay and equitable compensation for people? It is so hard. Um, it's just so hard. You know, so many of us come into this, you know, because one, we are caregivers, but also, you know, we want to be self-employed. We want to have autonomy. Um, we want to be financially self-supporting. And you can't do that if your primary mission is also to provide hyper affordable massage. Um, to build a sustainable business, you have to pay yourself enough so that you can live um, and not get burnt out, not feel resentful about your work every day. Mm -hmm. And I don't have any fantastic answers. And I have less answers now than I did three years ago because this pandemic has just been a nightmare for small business and for, for our kind of work. And you know, and I think what my, you know, my specialty here is people who are running their own one person business, right? So I don't want to speak too much to like big employee based uh, shops. I will say that, um, you know, for someone to run a business with lots of massage therapists, you know, 
there's a lot of overhead. There's always training. But yeah, massage therapists have very much been taken advantage of. And there's all these weird pay models where like you can do better if you take a commission versus an hourly wage. But at the end of the week, if, you know, if your commission isn't this much, you get whatever. It's like a minimum, maximum. If your commission doesn't make enough, we have to pay you hourly, which will get you this. But if you're whatever's more, whatever's less, and it, it, it gets so confusing that employees don't know what they're walking into until three paycheck cycles there. And then yeah. it's like, great, now I got to start again somewhere else. And they just stay. Because yeah. now they're three months in and maybe in, you know, in three more months, they're eligible for a raise. So there's a lot of confusion in hiring about what they're going to get as an employee. And I think that that part of that leads that they get overpromised. Everybody tips 20 bucks. No, yeah. not everybody mm-hmm. tips 20 bucks. Right. So there's a lot of like um, a lot of uh, smoke and mirrors in the hiring process. I will say that I think the uh, push towards unionization is really fascinating to watch and i know that there is one franchise in like one franchise location in colorado that has applied with the big labor organization to um to get the help to start unionizing i think they've even had their first run of votes um and i love to see it like i think that in many, many, many trades right now. And what we're seeing with unionization is going to probably save. Um, I actually think it's going to save the franchises in some way, because there's so many that can't get enough massage therapists to work. They can't, they can't, they don't have enough open massage spots to serve all of their members. And that's becoming a huge issue in a lot of the franchises. I think that unionization and just forcing them to be better employers Mm -hmm. might actually save those larger businesses. Yeah. That's my do, you think, on that. do you think there's uh, likely to be some fallout from that in in that the the lesser quality owners slash franchise locations maybe won't make it, but the the yeah. better ones would uh, absolutely like, uh, with certain resources available to them that sort of thing. I think that yeah. there are you know people like to apply very blanket thoughts to chains, but when you have a good owner, when you have a good franchise owner especially when you have a massage therapist franchise owner, it's a very different ball game. Mm-hmm. So I do think that those lesser quality owners will get pushed out because they can't survive treating employees well. So yeah. there you go. Yeah. I also want to, to, you know, make a plug to something I heard you say on a recent podcast too, and just, you know, have you reiterate that point that, you know, sometimes there is a perception uh, within our profession that you are a less than therapist if you work for somebody, you know, like let's say you work for a franchise, a chain or something like that, as opposed to being a solo practitioner. But as you noted, when I was listening to you talk about this, some people just find that's not their shtick, you know, to be the solopreneur business owner who's doing all that stuff. And they like being an employee. Um, but there does still seem to be, I'm not going to say a stigma maybe, but just a, a perception of like, well, I'm not quite as good because I work at a, a franchise or a chain or something like that. Yeah. I mean, there is that like thought in the back of the head, like if they were any good, they'd be working for themselves. Right. Yeah. I, and I, I absolutely used to think that. And after this many years of running my own business, like I absolutely see why someone would not want to own their, I am exhausted sometimes. Mm. And I, I'm in a good place with my business where it mostly runs itself. But a couple of years ago, 
I shut down my large practice where I rented to a lot of people and I reopened in a new space and having to do all of the startup stuff that I hadn't done in 15 years was a lot. And I, Mm -hmm. as I trudged through it and reminded myself, okay, you only have to do this thing once. You only have to renew this license every two years. You only have to blah, 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 blah. It was a lot of work. Mm -hmm. And if you have not yet sought out the education so that you have the skills to make your business mostly run itself, it's hard. Like, and especially in that first year or two, when you're really trying to get new clients in just so you can survive, like it's a lot. And it's not something, it's not something people can do even when they have, you know, another income coming into their household or they are financially stable outside of needing to get money in for massage. To be a, a like a, a single solo business owner, when you have children, is really, really hard. It's Mm -hmm. really, really hard. Or hello, sandwich generation. Like when you are trying to deal with your parents who are eight, and again, we're caregivers, right? And we're like 80 something percent women. So, hey, you know, Gen X and the older millennials, we're here trying to care for our parents who are breaking hips left and right. Mm -hmm. And our kids, and for some of us, our grandchildren, like it's a lot. (laughs) So I feel like, you know, I was, talking to somebody today, for me, full-time massage was about 20 to 22 massages a week, which was about 35 hours at the office. And for the most part, that include like all the admin work, didn't include like also doing laundry, but Mm -hmm. about 35 hours of work a week. That was full-time for me as a massage therapist. But to fit that in when you're also the primary caregiver for kids or even just an equal caregiver to your kids or it's, it's, hard. And it also took me a lot of years to get to the point where I could fit it all into about 35 hours. Like if you are struggling to learn your bookkeeping, if you, uh, there's so many factors and so many things that takes a long time to have happen smooth, or you're, you're really having to go big with marketing and networking to get more clients in like, you know, client recruitment can be tough. Client retention is much easier. So once you get an almost full schedule, it's easier to keep it going. But those first couple of years, I wouldn't want to do it. Like I wouldn't, I don't think I would do it again. Is actually what I'm saying. I would much rather have a set schedule at a place where I can walk in and greet my client and bring them to the massage room and put my laundry in a hamper and not see it again until it's clean. Like that'd be pretty sweet. Yeah. Yeah, so there's there's a lot of hidden things in there of of pros and cons about that 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 uh, and the point I think that you were making too is people need to really figure out who they are, you know, yeah. what they resonate with and what's what's their real um, pain points and places that really feel feel more or less comfortable for them. Yeah, and I don't think that your skill set is divine is defined by the environment in which you're working, and vice versa. Like, mm-hmm. there are phenomenal therapists working in all places, and there are terrible therapists working in all places. Yeah, right. I want to um, touch base on another issue related to another ebook that you all have on your website available to you about communicating with your healthcare team. And um, I heard you and Ruth talk about this some, and you she collaborated with you on this particular project, in particular. 
addressing this question that so many people hear about like, oh, if you have so-and-so type of thing, tell your person to, you know, ask their doctor or whatever, tell, tell this therapist to go ask that person's doctor if it's okay to work on them. And you brought up the fact that that's, there's really a, a, quite a lot of problems with that whole process or idea. I was wondering if you could talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So this whole thing came up. I'm so excited you asked me about this because it just it all just launched in the last couple of weeks. Um, this came about because I took a class in May for manual lymphatic drainage and we're in the class and the instructor said something like, um, you know, if they have this or this, you need to get a doctor's note. And I was like, what do I need the doctor's note to say exactly? Like, what is how do I need to exp like, what do I need the doctor to know, mm -hmm. to know if they can approve and I'm air quoting this, um, the massage. And she was like, well, you just want to know that they, they know it's safe. And I'm like, how does the doctor know what kind of, and I'm totally like, I'm, you do not want me in your classes. Cause I am so obnoxious about this kind of stuff. And so it turned into this whole conversation about, yeah, I'd love to communicate with doctors more, but it's really, really hard, right? Like, no, there, you can't email doctors because email is not HIPAA compliant. Like the patients email doctors within a, a special portal. You can call a doctor's office, but you are not getting past the front desk. Like they may pass a message on, but it, you're not going to get a call back. Offices are just a mess. So this whole conversation started about how my approach, um, and I don't need to get doctors info all that much anymore. Like I don't need to communicate with them much anymore. Although I'm going to start doing more manual lymphatic drainage. So I will. Um, I empower, I don't even try to call doctor's offices anymore. I empower the client to do it. I give the client a script and I say, you should maybe email this to your doctor within that portal. If that's the best way that you communicate with them or print this out and bring it to your next office visit or call and ask to speak with the doctor. Cause I'm not going to be able to get through. And I give the client what they need. And so the MLD instructor was like, can we have that? Like a week after the class was like, can you share that template with me? And I was like, sure. And I was like, Ruth, can you look at this template for me before I give it to somebody? Because I use it, but do I sound smart enough? Is it good enough to give to somebody else to share with other massage therapists? And that's how this whole thing evolved, right? And um, people need templates. We need to be, we need more guidance on what to say when we're communicating and what tools we need to, need to give a client to empower them to, to handle that interaction. And, you know, I don't, I don't need a doctor to say, yes, it's safe to massage. I need a doctor to say the client's cardiovascular system is compromised in this way. Uh, I understand that the amount of pressure you will be applying. And I believe I, I agree with you in that that is equivalent to your customers or your client taking a brief walk around the block. And that's not too challenging to their system. So I, I agree with you that massage is probably safe with these accommodations. Um, I want to converse with the doctor to make sure I understand the limits and the limitations um, in, in regards to how the client's body is going to receive the massage. And I want them to know what I'm actually doing. Because if the only if the only massage experience that doctor had was on a cruise 20 years ago when somebody like really did deep tissue work, they're going to say, no, don't touch that client. Absolutely do not give a massage. And, yeah, if well, and I think that's, yeah, that's, uh, sorry to interrupt, but I just, I want you to, to drill down on this a little bit because I think you all talked about this. I, I can't remember what it was a podcast that I heard both of you talking about this on or, or something like that, but this very issue of Many physicians and other healthcare providers just really have no idea what we do. 
So it's difficult for them to say, yeah, it's okay for you to do this when they really don't understand massage and a lot of what we're doing, I think, in many of these instances. Yeah. And unless you're dealing with a doctor who's also an osteopath, like you're they're they're not going to know. And mm-hmm. I had this exact conversation with my primary care practitioner last year because I was having tension headaches and she actually palpated my neck. And I was like, hey, you're good at that. You could be a massage therapist. And she was like, actually, I was an occupational therapist. That's how I put myself through med school. And that's why um, I, I'm a doctor of osteopathy and not an MD. She goes, the all of the training is identical up to a certain point. She's like, we didn't actually palpate or touch people until I was into, into my osteopath. Um, training. She's like, we would, you know, we would learn palpation for like organ dysfunction and things like mm-hmm. that, but they didn't teach us um, in, in the primary medical training. They don't, they don't teach that kind of palpation for pain and muscle tension and stuff. And, and so, you know, doctors may not have that hands-on experience with the kind of tissue in the way that we do, nor have they gotten a massage from me. Yeah. So they don't know what massage is we and in massage we don't even have like we can't even agree on a glossary of terms so <laughs> i certainly wouldn't expect a doctor to know what my light effleurage is which is why it's really important that we use things like the walton pressure scale which very clearly you know, lays out five levels of pressure in regards to what you can feel and what you can see and what parts you're moving on mm-hmm. in a patient's body yeah that's particular and i want to just Put a shout out to Tracy Walton and the the Walton Pressure Scale. We will put a link to to that in the show notes as well. That's uh, I think a very helpful resource for for some people who may not be terribly familiar with things and and where pressure levels are a big deal um, in terms of what they might be doing. That's a, a great way to to try to share some of that information. So uh, you know one of the other things that that I run into all the time is you know people coming in with. Um, unrecognized musculoskeletal disorders um, and this thing where they're often told, you know, if you're uncertain about what's happening here, send that person back to the doctor, find out if it's okay. You know, the doctor says it's okay to do massage and many people not realizing, especially with general practitioners, their education in musculoskeletal pain conditions is in many instances, very inadequate. Um, in medical school training, that's been acknowledged a lot in, in many of the research studies about the medical school curriculum that have come out. So it is a conundrum for us oftentimes to try to just assume that just because somebody has DR after their name, that they are an expert in all kinds of things related to musculoskeletal health, things that we work with all the time. So um, some big challenges there. And I think that in relation to you know, how we interact with healthcare providers, and for me, it's how I empower my client to interact with their healthcare provider. One of the most important things that we do and can do that we don't discuss, nor are we trained about, is how do we teach our clients to advocate for themselves mm-hmm. in that in that doctor's office or in their provider's room? Because it's hard. You know, a client will come to me and they'll say, I'm so tired. My shoulder hurts. I keep waking up when I roll over on it. And you know, I drill down sharp? Is it sharp? Is it stabby? Where's it radiating to? Um, does it feel this way? Does it feel this way? Does it this, this, and it's like, I don't do a lot of this work. So I'm probably saying all the things wrong, but they don't always say those things in the doctor's office or the mm-hmm. doctor, you know, will take off with the first thing they say and they don't get to the rest. Yeah. So I try really hard to teach clients how to advocate for themselves to the point where, you know, sometimes you're writing some bullet points down together before they leave the office to say, okay, here's what I think is important. 
maybe remind your practitioner that this has been going on for more than three months, that you are, you're not sleeping because of it. And that's starting to infect your daily life and that you did in fact try you know, six weeks of PT and you didn't notice any difference because, you know, the doctor's not always going to see that in their chart. They're just going to see that they're coming in for pain again. And so sometimes I think the best thing we can do for a client is, you know, lay our hands on them and calm their nervous system down and then give them some vocabulary to get better results in the very limited time that they have with their primary care practitioner. Yeah. Yeah. Some wonderful ideas there. One, uh, one more thing I want to kind of ask you here too, as we look at the their turnout into 2023. Lots of things have changed. Lots of things are challenges that people are facing. Um, but I'm asking a lot of people this as they come on the show here too. What do you see as some of our biggest challenges ahead in the next year, maybe five years, also as as a profession? I mean, I know we got a lot of big things that we're grappling with. What what kind of comes onto your list as some of the biggest things that we're that we're, we're grappling with? Public health in general. Um, I think that you know we're starting year three of a global health crisis that is not going to end anytime soon that puts us in immediate danger um, in our massage rooms. So like being a COVID conscious and just infectious disease conscious now because, you know, flu and RSV and pneumonia and all of these things, um, being conscious of protection, protecting ourselves from um, disease infection and, uh, exposure, really protecting us from exposure and protecting our clients um, from exposure that could happen within, you know, we worked in small massage rooms and um, I think primarily like continuing to keep ourselves safe is going to be an issue and continuing to keep our clients safe in our massage room is an issue. But I also think that it's going to be very easy for a lot of us to burn out like this, this virus is disabling five to 20% of the people it infects. Like mm-hmm. we, you know, at least for some period of time, some people, you know, it takes them a, a week to get over COVID. Some people, it takes them a month and there are people who are having long COVID. So we're looking at people who, um, whose body is just, they're not functioning the way it used to for six to 12 months. We yeah. are looking at greater numbers of diabetes. We're looking at a five times greater risk of cardiovascular events in the 12 months after you have COVID, even in mild cases and even in vaccinated people. So sorry, this wasn't intended to be like a big lecture about COVID, but what all of this is, is leading to a much greater proportion of our population being sick, long-term sick, disabled, connective tissue, um, just in general immune system, like autoimmune stuff. It's so I think that for those of us who are lucky enough to remain well and remain working, um, we need to not burn ourselves out taking care of everyone else because there's going to be, I think, a much greater call for massage because it's a pretty gentle intervention, even like with a lot of these conditions that we're going to be facing um, that are just going to increase and increase in our population. Um, And I think we can be very busy. And if we're not real careful, we're going to burn ourselves a lot quickly, a lot more quickly in the next decade than we have in the previous, just because of what is going on in 
in health and what I think is going to occur in public health over the next 10 years as we start to really face the ramifications of what this virus can do to bodies. Um, I, and I think that the second part of that is that you know, we don't have as many massage schools as we used to. We're not turning out as many massage therapists as we used to. So it's good. It's great for me that there's much greater demand for my services because there's not as many massage therapists. But again, it's also going to be exhausting. And uh, I don't know how that's going to turn out. I, yeah. So that was very long winded. I apologize. But I well, think. That, no, it kind of sounds like self-care is the theme that, that really comes out of that is like paying attention and, to. Yeah. You know. I don't even call it self-care. I call it boundaries, mm -hmm. like boundaries on the how much you work, the times of day that you work, um, what you charge for your work, and all of the boundaries around a sustainable business. And yeah, part of that's caring for yourself. But um, all of the boundaries you build so that you can keep doing the work you do for as long as you want to. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much again for joining me today to look down the road for what's coming up in the future and what's uh, happening for us um, in 2023. And again, if you will um, put a plug in, let people know how can they find out more about you and Massage Business Blueprint. Uh, remind us again where that's located. Yeah, massagebusinessblueprint.com. Super easy. Everything is there. The podcast, the blog, all the free eBooks, all of that stuff is at massagebusinessblueprint.com. That sounds great. Alyssa, again, thank you so much. It's been a delight talking with you here today. Thanks, Whitney. All right. So keep in mind, everyone, the Thinking Practitioner podcast is supported by ABMP, the Associated Bodywork and Massage Professionals. ABMP membership gives professional practitioners like you a package, including individual liability insurance, free continuing education and quick reference apps, online scheduling and payments with PocketSuite, and much more. ABMP's CE courses, podcast and massage and bodywork magazine, always feature expert voices like Alyssa and new perspectives in the profession, including those from Till and myself, Whitney. Thinking practitioner listeners can save on joining ABMP at abmp.com forward slash thinking. So thank you to all of our sponsors and thank you especially to you, the listeners, for hanging out with us here today. You can stop by our sites for show notes, uh, transcripts, and any extras. You can find that over on my site at academyofclinicalmassage.com and also over on Till's site at advanced-trainings.com. If you have any questions or things you'd like to hear us talk about, please email us at info at the thinking practitioner or look for us on social media under our names. Till can be found under his name, Till Luca, and mine over at Whitney Lowe, also on social media and various different channels. You can rate us on Apple Podcasts as it does help other people help find the show, and you can hear us on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you happen to listen. Please do share the word and tell a friend, and we'll look forward to connecting with you again soon.